Hey guys, welcome back to the Judson Podcast. We are a diverse group of friends who get together to talk about faith, culture, and all the things that interest us. And for today's question of the week, Jenny, uh, can you share what you came up with? Yeah. So I think this is going to be a polarizing one, though I wouldn't be surprised if some of us try to come down the middle because we think of ourselves as a reasonable group of folks. But Halloween decorations, some people love them and some people just really hate them and think they're either tacky or terrifying. What do you guys think? David, what do you think? I think Halloween decorations that deal with like fake blood or like vampires and trying to scare you, but it's like not, I think that's kind of annoying. So it's the blood ones though. It's not the, you're okay with the skeletons or not so much those either? Yeah, I guess it's the fake gore that I think is like, I don't even know if I would say tacky, but at least I would say I don't like it. (laughs) Well, you think it's like uh, sacrilegious? No, it's just, to me, it's just like, why would you put all that makeup on yourself to make you look like you're... Because people love the holiday. Like, isn't this... <laughs> Why do people dress up as Santa Claus? But Santa Claus, you don't have to put something on your... You don't have to put all this stuff on your face. Like, what if it's hot and you start sweating? You have to put a beard on your face, though. <laughs> but you could take it off if you... <laughs> See, I think it's the same thing with, like, Tim Burton movies, is that... Some people are like, oh, it's so cute. And some are like, it's so macabre. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm about to look up Tim Burton. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Sweeney Todd, Edward Scissorhands, I think. Oh, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, anything that's holiday themed is just automatically tacky. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Christmas too? Yeah, here. Think about someone wearing whoa. like Christmas sweaters out of season. Or think about someone wearing, like, I don't know, someone wearing, like, a Halloween-themed t-shirt out of season. (laughs) Wearing any of those shirts, like, out of season just looks tacky. Unless you're in the season, it just doesn't work. So you're okay with in-season, but just not out of season. Christmas decorations are generally more popular than Halloween decorations, or more widely accepted. I feel like more people do the Christmas decor on their houses than do the Halloween decor. I don't know. Mm. I think for me... I'm trying to be a person who enjoys more things because I want to be happy more often. So I think I really want (laughs) to enjoy the Halloween decorations. And I am really impressed. Like some people in New York really go all out like you would at Christmas. Like they have larger than life size figures outside their house and things like that. But I think... Underneath all of that, I do think that it's tacky. Like I saw the spider webs, you know, like the cotton kind of raggedy looking spider webs that they do outside of a really nice building. And it just looked, I just thought, oh, that doesn't look good. (laughs) I don't really understand. And I do think they're a little bit scary, especially when I see them in the morning. I'm going out for my early morning run in the dark and seeing these Mm -hmm. Skeletons. (laughs) Skeletons. <laughs> what if they want it to look bad because it, it, it reminds them of growing up? Like they want to be tacky. You know, like how people have ugly Christmas sweaters where like they want to do something yeah, it's tacky? Yeah, nostalgic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a great point, David. I like costumes. Like I was considering doing um, the plain clothes Captain America from 
Captain America 2. But then I ended up doing Tien from Dragon Ball Z last year, which is ironic because I'm making fun of uh, makeup. But I had I did the makeup eye. <laughs> Tamara did the makeup eye for me. Cosplay is its, t- own, its own whole thing. I've gone to yeah. conventions and cosplay. That's that's I love that. <laughs> who did you? Who Lord of the Rings? One year I was. Did I go to con dresses? I think I did. I was. I had kind of two costumes, like a Sherlock costume and a Smaug the Dragon costume from The Hobbit, because Benedict Cumberbatch plays both. He does the voice acting for Smaug the Dragon. And so I was Smaug Lock Holmes, world's only consulting dragon. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put a picture of that yes. for this episode. <laughs> David, I think if you saw the picture, you still wouldn't understand it. Too many levels of geekdom for you. Yeah. To decipher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So. A serious topic. <laughs> yeah, there's no transition here because our topic is on spiritual disciplines today. Okay. Wait, so, let me try it. Let me try right. it. You know, sometimes our costumes. <laughs> you know, sometimes when it comes to our costumes and, you know, sometimes when it comes to our decorations, you know, you could do the basic tacky stuff or you could actually like try, try to make a, a sort of a Halloween scene or something like that. And that takes discipline, (laughs) (laughs) which is a transition. That's not bad. Which is a transition into our topic for today. Take it away, Scott. Excellent transition, David. (laughs) Yeah, so we were just thinking about how um, obviously 2020 has been one of the roughest years for all of us and how it's been hard to focus spiritually with all the things that are going on with the election season was people just having to readjust over and over again to this new normal. And so we thought it would be great to talk about spiritual disciplines and, and what are we trying to do to keep focused on our personal relationships with God or maybe why hasn't that worked out and what, can, and what can we do different? What advice can we share with each other to try to feel some spiritual flourishing in you know, this time of stress and anxiety? And so we thought this would be the perfect time to talk about uh, spiritual disciplines for our podcast. And to start off this conversation, we first have to decide what is a spiritual discipline? Because I found in my various church circles and relationships with Christians that the range of what they consider to be a spiritual discipline can often be diverse. You know, obviously things like prayer and devotionals and fasting, we all agree those are spiritual disciplines. But what about things that are communally focused? Like, is a small group a spiritual discipline? Is going on Sabbath a spiritual discipline when it's kind of required by the commandments? So what do you guys think? What counts for you as a spiritual discipline? Jenny? I think it's something that you practice so not just maybe a kind of rule that you follow but I think of it as something that you that recurs so you do it either every day or every week or every year so similar to a physical discipline of exercising so it's almost like spiritual exercises <laughs> mm-hmm. that makes sense spiritual exercises um, and I think they can kind of be done in tandem kind of like how you might go to a gym to learn more. Um, but if you 
If you have weekly training sessions with your trainer, you still need to actually practice what the trainer teaches you every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like it's, it's cultivating your spiritual growth with God. And it's the aspect of that personal relationship you're trying to cultivate with God. Just you and Him in solitude together. And so while I do think it's, it is great to have other people there, um, I think that's more, as you were saying, Jenny, maybe as like a special thing or a thing to learn. Like for instance, uh, when my wife and I, when we pray together, you know, that's like a special time, but I'm kind of talking to my wife as I'm talking to God, and that's not the same thing as talking to God, right? Mm-hmm. There's another human element. You know, it's, not, it's not a distraction, but it's not that solitude where you're surrounded by nothing but the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there's individual disciplines in corporate? Because like maybe corporate, like, you know, and the Bible talks about not forgetting to meet together mm. to encourage each other and stuff like that. That's a good point. Which most of them probably would be individual because we, you know, like with, we do have first and foremost a personal relationship with God, but then some of them would be kind of group. Mm. I think this has actually a, been a big question for me as I've had been practicing or trying to practice two specific disciplines, which are Sabbath and fasting. And I think I've actually found that when there's an element of community involved, that the practices have actually been more healthy for me. Like I've been held accountable more. I think fasting is a good example of that. It can be, can be better to not necessarily fast in community, but be fasting in tandem with other people. So what I did in my Bible study was we, you know, fasted separately in our own homes, but then we broke our fast together. And that actually introduced something new for me, which was normally when I would break my fast in college, I would just eat whatever and a lot of it. Um, But when I was breaking fast together with other people, the focus was much less on the food and actually much more on God because we were all kind of debriefing. We also sent um, a text message when everybody started fasting. So we fasted dinners for Lent, so it was once a week. And so one of us would be in charge of sending around a scripture or a prayer. And it was a reminder to all of us that even though we're not in the same place, we're all in this together. Which before when I had done fasting, I had not understood really what the point of it was because it didn't feel very meaningful. Like, yeah, I skipped food and then now I'm eating food, but so what? I mean, I got really hangry, so what did that mean? But I think having other people around me holding me accountable made me actually, made it actually more meaningful when I did it. I think you're supposed to get hangry, though. <laughs> no, I mean, isn't that the point of fasting? Is like fasting, a lot of like our emotions and a lot of our supposed emotional stability it comes from the fact that we have a level of comfort that we don't realize. And then when fasting strips away that level of comfort we're used to, some of our deeper flaws and our raw mm-hmm. emotions come out. Mm-hmm. I was rereading parts of Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, who was, um, I guess, kind of the guy who brought these ancient traditions back to Protestant circles. And he wrote this really interesting thing about fasting, which is that 
anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then, we will realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. Hmm. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. So a lot of people aren't used to that feeling of being upset or uh, emotionally unstable during fasting. But that's like supposed to be part of it, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when we would debrief, we would talk about, you know, how we responded. And so in talking about it, we were able to kind of extrapolate that more spiritual meaning, like what you were just saying, um, which I don't think I was doing really by myself. I think when I was doing it by myself, it was more of a test of my own strength. Like, oh, let's see if I can complete this challenge, you know. I think people should more seriously consider actual food fasting because, you know, the people back in Jesus's time, fasting was an act of trust because they didn't have enough food. But for us today, it's meaningful, but in a different way, because what you're saying is, um, you know, for all of my life, I've always had enough food. But when I fast, I'm saying I'm not self-reliant, actually. I'm reliant on God and I'm not reliant on this food that there's so much Yeah, of. I think food fasting is actually harder in general. Fasting for other things, since we have more things to fast from, like maybe your phone or Facebook or this or that or whatever, the news, what people sometimes say. I do think that since there's more stuff, it's good to talk about it. But I do think there is something about food because as much as... There's no other form of fasting where you've constantly... 24-7, feel that, feel the deprivation of it. Right. The other ones might be real, especially if you're maybe addicted to something. But food is the only one where it's, you can 100% guarantee that everyone's going to need it. <laughs> you're gonna, yeah. You will now need it. Now, on the flip it. side, here's my, here's my ambivalence towards fasting. Because I do think it's, you know, like, like we were just saying, like the benefits are amazing. The problem with fasting in the modern age it's uh, we're doing it in an age of body image, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone who fasts can think about, oh, I have this extra benefit of losing weight. And I think that's really dangerous. Having those ulterior motives, especially when it's like an unstated motive, can really yeah. feed into spiritual arrogance. I thought you were saying that it could feed into just ego like trying to trying to yeah, look good I mean. physically. Like, <laughs> if you don't realize that it's narcissistic, then it becomes like an added level of um, pride. Like, I got this thing done. Yeah. Yeah, which is what I think I was doing at first, which is why it was so helpful for me to do it with other people. Then you can kind of talk about that feeling. I also wanted to talk about body image because I think that as a person who's definitely experienced disordered thought patterns with regard to eating, like thinking of food as something, you know, bad or dangerous because, you know, it can make me fat. I think fasting actually became a way for me not to diet, but instead to give my control of food back to God. Um, So it was really significant for me in kind of the opposite direction where I was saying, that desire to achieve, to have a, a notch in your belt of, oh, I fasted this many days of Lent. I think that's all part of control. Trying to achieve something 
if you see fasting as a challenge that you want to overcome, and instead what I was learning to is seeing fasting as being not in control and giving up that control to God instead. Mm. So for people who are interested in fasting, do you guys have any tips for believers who want to try it out? I mean, I guess I would just say like, I've definitely met people who were shocked by the hunger pangs. And I would say for people like they need to consider it more as like marathon training, right? Like the initial feelings of pain are just your body adjusting. It's not actual right. pains. You're okay. It's not actual life or death pains, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you push past um, the first few symptoms, you know, the superficial pains go away and you learn to deal with it. When I started fasting, I found that my body was used to being deprived of food in the past. Um, so I actually didn't feel so much hungry as just very like, kind of sluggish and tired. Oh, yeah. I sometimes cheat with coffee. Is that okay or did I cheat? I think it depends, Scott. I think, I think coffee is a gray area. I think it's okay. Well, I think you have to think of your goal. Well, think about this. If I didn't drink coffee, I would just be sleeping all day. Isn't that also cheating? <laughs> to just sleep away the fasting? That's true. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You are giving up control if you're not doing the coffee. Because mm. then your experience of fasting becomes, wow, I can't control my day. <laughs> I couldn't get anything done today because I just slept all day. Mm. It depends on the person. And I think people should be very careful about doing it, especially if you've had any disordered eating patterns in the past. To do it with other people and tell other people what you're doing as opposed to, like, keeping it a secret. Mm-hmm. I guess it's in a sense, it's kind of like if you go to a, a pep rally, you're trying to get hype, I guess, before a, a game or something. Like, it's kind of like the anti. <laughs> like, you're trying to help yourself become humbled, I guess, in a sense. Or empty. Fasting. The anti-prep rally. <laughs> <laughs> the anti-pep rally. <laughs> so one of the things we thought would be fun to talk about is... In addition to talking about advice for spiritual disciplines, we also wanted to mention like how they can be overrated, like the wrong ways to do these disciplines. And so one of the things that really annoys me about fasting, and I'm probably going to offend a lot of my friends and family here, is when people say they're going to do the, quote, Daniel fast. The Daniel fast, I think, is like so overrated. What is the Daniel fast? Mm -hmm. Is that eating vegetables or something? Oh, that's not a fast. That's a diet. Daniel <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. diet. <laughs> it's a fast that people claim to be biblically based, where in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel talks about the things he was eating, and people have, have interpreted it to mean to eat unprocessed foods, specifically a vegetable diet. And not only is it not fasting at all, <laughs> It's like, it's like such bad exegesis. Daniel said, mm -hmm. this is what he ate. He didn't say, okay, now you have to eat what I ate. It's creating a diet from nothing. And I think the reason that people like to do it is because something, I need to look at it too, but I think it has something to do with the effect of like, they're like, and Daniel looked better than the other <laughs> men that the king had. Yeah, so the specific verse, uh, starting in verse two, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food 
no meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. The Daniel, Daniel <laughs> self-care. Daniel self-care. So, <laughs> Can we look it up real quick? I think it's earlier on. Oh, maybe you're right. Let me see. Uh, Daniel 1. one twelve. And they see that the Israelites were doing better than the um, indigenous people, even though they weren't eating meat. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the Mm -hmm. young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they would have drink and gave them vegetables instead. They skipped the no lotions part. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's basically like saying, oh, I'm doing the paleo diet, but I'm doing it for God. Super trendy. It's, like, okay, it's sure trendy. <laughs> Should we move on to another spiritual discipline? So talking about spiritual practices that are overrated, um, one thing that we've all noticed over the past few years is the revival of these ancient monastic practices amongst Protestant circles. So maybe you've been part of a small group that tested out some of these practices. There's Lectio Divina, which is a form of scripture reading where you solely focus on certain words or you repeat it several times to try to get a deeper meaning from the passages. There is the Prayer Labyrinth where you um, walk through a labyrinth uh, type of maze to help you focus your prayer on God. And then there is the rule of life. There was a way for Benedictine monks to look at their schedule and figure out uh, how to grow themselves spiritually in different areas of their life. I think these practices are all cool. But uh, the reason why I think it's hilarious is because Protestants, by and large, are so anti-Catholic, and they are just blatantly stealing from Catholics. That is funny. Claiming this as their own. They just want That is some, funny. I never thought about it like that. They just want some <laughs> liturgy in their lives, you know? I think liturgy is coming back in. Even the liturgy is Catholic. <laughs> Would you call those, um, I mean, I haven't done a labyrinth per se, but would you think of, um, we went to a church that did kind of a Stations of the Cross type thing where you would kind of walk through mm. the hours before Jesus' death. Is that similar to a labyrinth? Or like a prayer walk? I guess it's kind of the modern self-centered yoga version of a labyrinth, but each station, you know, the first station could be kind of, how close to God are you feeling at the moment? I could see that as a type of labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. Do you really not support these things? Because from my perspective... No, I think they're good. I think it's just hilarious that Protestants are not into them. They don't realize how hypocritical they're being. I think that's the thing that's hilarious. I never realized that either until you said it just now. I think it's actually something that I've had a question a lot in my life is how much is too much structure? And I think people maybe tend to bounce, at least for me, I kind of bounce back and forth. Like I 
grew up going to a very non-liturgical, very, you know, move as the, as the spirit leads. We're going to do this song right now, even though it's not on the set list and nobody practiced it, to very strict, like, Redeemer is a good example of that, where it's like, down to the minute. They always end, you know, exactly on time. They start exactly on time. You know, I feel like it's either too much or too little. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> a spiritual discipline should challenge what you're used to. Yeah. I, I mean, I love how you framed it as control earlier, Jenny. Um, it should challenge what you're used to and bring you into closer proximity of God's will. So if you're someone who's, who strives on structure and control, you should challenge yourself with things that are less structured. If you're someone like me, who is used to... Uh, chaos? So yeah, is used <laughs> to chaos and flying around from one thing to another, I definitely need to put into practice like scheduling things as, as a way to show my commitment to God. Mm. You know? Yeah, because I think the danger that we fall into as modern Western Christians is saying... Like, almost like I'm too smart for this. Like, why do I have to do a daily Bible reading? You know, I can kind of piece together myself what the Bible says. Maybe I've read chunks of it before. Like, we read it on Sunday morning. You know, we say, you know, I don't need this. I can just connect to God on my own. Um, but then we're humbled when we actually read the scripture aloud three times. And, oh my gosh, Darn it, by that third time, I did think of something that I didn't think of the first two times we read it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprises me every time. <laughs> we as consumers, as consumerist Americans, it's like if we don't get the benefit right away, like why mm. are we even doing this? Like mm. a lot of people stop doing quiet times because they're like, okay, I know, I know my Bible. I know my theology. Well, it doesn't matter if you know it. <laughs> you read it because God told us to read it. Uh, and because it was literally written by God. Yeah, so the idea of ritual, it shows your dedication to a higher power than you and that you're not going to criticize or judge or question it. Mm -hmm. Plus it's living. It's not like a thing where it's like, I read this chapter once, I know it. Because it's like God can still speak to you different things. Mm, yeah. Even still. I think also a lot of the the disciplines require us to give our full attention to what we're doing. Um, like C.S. Lewis was actually a big supporter of kneeling while praying. And I think we tend to, in our modern society, multitask with God. So like, oh yeah, I have quiet time every day. I, I play the audio Bible while I do my makeup. That's not really the same thing. <laughs> or, I, or I do my laundry and I pray. Yeah, a, a very popular one here in New York City is I have my quiet time on the subway, which it's great that you're spending time with God on the subway, but I think for you to be able to really cry out to God in prayer, I know that sounds like a Christian cliche, but like sometimes you need to speak aloud or sometimes you need to make a weird face or cry. Um, and if you're just doing that on a subway, you can't. You could. I think that goes back to what we're saying about making sure we define a spiritual discipline. It is a recurring physical practice that connects you spiritually with God, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's something you have to physically do as opposed to like, you know, thinking a quick prayer while you're cleaning the house, right? <laughs> like doing something physical, it forces you to focus uh, more spiritually than mm -hmm. you're used to. 
which we underestimate because we think of our minds as being totally separate from our bodies and our bodies as being unclean and earthly. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Another point I wanted to bring up, uh, the idea of spiritual, right? A spiritual discipline. Most of us, when we think of the word spiritual, <laughs> we spiritualize the word spiritual. <laughs> it's, it's become so fluffy and poetic that um, we've limited what we consider to be truly spiritual. And by doing that, we underrate all the ways that we, we could be integrating things that might be unglamorous or more routine. We underrate how these could be the things that God actually wants us to do. For instance, here are some spiritual disciplines that people don't really regard as a spiritual discipline. Financial stewardship. Hmm. Forgiving other people. Systematic Bible study. Being grateful. These don't seem like higher concepts spirituality, so we kind of disregard them. But these are things that, it's in the Bible, right? These are things the Bible tells mm -hmm. us to do. I think also we think of spirituality as being something that you kind of relax into more. Um, almost like it's like a listening posture, which it can be certainly. But all of those things, Scott, that you listed sound like a lot of hard work. And mm. um, when we think of, oh, I'm spiritual, we don't think of, you know, I'm just really, I work hard at, at being grateful and spending my money well, you know. <laughs> yeah. We just don't like doing things that are, are difficult, really. And discipline is nothing if not difficult. <laughs> yeah. And I think also one that I do like, systematic, like you said, Bible study, I think that's one of the ones that I think, I don't know if it has to be reframed or something like that, because I think it's one of the ones, we talk about a lot of justice issues and things like that. I think systematic Bible study gets somehow put under the umbrella of the aspects of white church that we that we have to you know criticize or deal with but it's like people have been doing it for a long time mm. having a plan for how you study the bible as opposed to just reading whatever you feel is that what you're kind of getting at scott yeah having a plan and knowing the historical grammatical level understanding of the bible you know what the ancient jews did was they saw how understanding the grammar helped them to understand what god was trying to say to them better things like that mm-hmm and as well, I think it's a discipline to, we are 2,000 years, one hemisphere away from most of the Bible. And so I do think it's a discipline to kind of actually see how things apply today. I would say that's a huge, huge one as well. Yeah, that's a great point, David. One of the reasons why God calls us to do spiritual disciplines is He helps us to create higher meaning through these disciplines. He helps us to be creative. He helps us to see what he's always seen, right? So kind of like you're saying, David, yeah, we all understand scripture, but you read it and you reread it. And then you analyze what's going on in the world and you reread it with that context. And then maybe you finally understand that God is telling you something about the world and how the Bible has the answers to the problems that are going mm -hmm. on in the world. It's actually, oh, you're not just doing these things. So you have this warm, fuzzy feeling that you're close to God. It's not that you're just trying to release your, what's it called, oxy... Oxytocin? Yeah, oxytocin. Like new mothers, they have a release of a hormone called oxytocin, and that's like the hormone of love. 
So when we're doing these disciplines, we're not just trying to get a release of oxytocin, right? We actually want to like, understand how, how God is calling us to recreate the world with him through the power of his gospel, right? And spiritual disciplines help us to get there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if a lot of people actually find that there are barriers to practicing spiritual disciplines because they feel like they don't have the tools. Like, I think once I was given access, this is something Redeemer does really well. So let me say something nice about them. When I was given access to uh, resources about fasting and Sabbathing, that really helped me to be able to practice better, and it gave me structure. And I think something that I've often felt, Scott, that I thought of again while you were talking about deep study of the Bible, especially attention to grammar, is that I don't feel like I have the tools I need to really study the Bible. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of the church's fault. Yeah. Especially the modern Protestant tradition, which is we've emphasized direct revelation from God so much. We emphasize like revelation from the Holy Spirit so much that we think the hard work of historical lexical criticism is something we don't have to deal with. Right. And I think that when we do that too, one of the pitfalls is Similar people, like with the whole traditional, non-traditional thing, like people who don't get any liturgy can try to rush to that or vice versa. And then once you rush into like people who write about the Bible, and then you just rush into it with nothing, you can kind of go into your own other kind of minefield in a sense, because you don't know who's what or... And it's embarrassing too. Like, <laughs> I've listened to sermons by pastors who did not attend seminary uh, say things about the background of their passage, and it would just be wrong. They like just didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that too. <laughs> or referring to other parts of the Bible, and you're like, that's not yeah. exactly. <laughs> maybe in the show notes, or maybe on Instagram, we can do a series and post some resources for people. And it's something we need to do better as you know we get used to modern technology is um, to provide resources, and not just like the resources where Christian companies make money off of you, like GodTube or whatever lame video service there is, <laughs> yeah. but like actual resources <laughs> that help us in our personal quiet times. There's so many like fake Christian resources out there that say they're trying to help you, and it's just Christian companies trying to make a profit. Because mm. there are a lot of free stuff on the internet that will help you to understand your Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to let myself or others completely off the hook here either because, you know, we do have the internet. We, we even have a written Bible, which people for centuries didn't have. Churches do need to offer resources, but I think we need to step up. Christians need to step up too. Not you guys. You guys study the Bible. But I think, you know... People spend so much time doing internet research on Black Friday whatever sales. random thing they're interested yeah. in. They don't bother doing that on the Bible. And then they say, oh, I, I don't know. I can find it. <laughs> Did you look? Just a few minutes of that research, just a few minutes of meditation, and just a few minutes of solitude with God, that goes such a long way to, to fighting against the waves of anxiety and stress that come crashing in through every morning's headlines, you know? Mm-hmm. It gives you a sense of stability in the middle of a storm. Did you have an example, maybe, Scott, of how you recently, we could end on it, did some study or meditation that helped, or Jenny? 
I mean, I've gone through times in my life where I didn't have a, a daily quiet time and times when I did. And I don't necessarily feel like the times that I did, that I would have scored higher on that scale, actually. I think a lot of times when we're doing those practices, it can be out of a sense of lostness or dryness or disconnect. You know, I think that sometimes drives people to those disciplines. And I think discipline in dryness has a special value to it. In times of dryness, you can be dry. You can feel totally disconnected from God and still like be committed to God, right? But couldn't you still be feeling like maybe not a zero, but maybe like a, a one, maybe a zero? Yeah. So on the flip side, as most people feel, they can be spiritually dry and not feel committed to doing anything. And so I go back to the imagery of like fasting in the wilderness. You can be like Jesus and fast for 40 days. You can be fasting in the wilderness and feel disconnected from God, feel disconnected from everything. But your belief and your faith is as solid as a rock. Mm. And that comes from a place of preparation. That comes from a place of lifelong commitment. And then for others, you know, you can be in that spiritual wilderness. And when you're attacked, you're not ready for it. I'm not, I'm not saying like spiritual disciplines are like the answer for everything. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to paint a picture of the difference. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with fasting, too, is that people maybe go into it expecting to have some sort of mountaintop experience where maybe it's not that, but it doesn't mean that you're not learning from it or growing from it. The same thing with having like a daily quiet time. You might not, like what we were saying earlier, you might not get those instant results that you're wanting because the thing that you're seeking isn't just you know, meeting a challenge, it's more complicated than that. It's like building your life, I guess. <laughs> exactly. It's a very anti-consumerist, anti-modern way of living. Yeah. Millennials should be down with that. <laughs> I don't know. Millennials are like the biggest consumers of, of them all. But they're anti-consumer too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like modern Christianity... Um, could do so much more to appeal to millennials is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Maybe we can do an episode on that. I think there's so many things about the faith that millennials could see. What parts of Christianity appeal to millennials? Yeah. All right, anything we should end on? I think I would also give people the advice. I thought of when we were talking about fasting and how there are so many ways to do it wrong. That if you're waiting until you are going to do a spiritual practice perfectly, you're going to be waiting your whole life. Like, <laughs> it's better to start and do it wrong and try to learn and get better. Because I fast every year for Lent and I do it a little bit wrong every time. Yeah, don't be like, oh, Lent is halfway over. Quiet times, do those wrong too. I mean, especially the daily practices, you're going to do mm -hmm. those wrong a lot. And that doesn't mean that you should just not do it. That's a great point, Jenny. You know, do it and do it wrong. <laughs> great point. I think what you said about Jesus fasting using that as an example is a good illustration of what I was saying earlier, which is we're Christ-like, but we're not actually Christ. So don't expect yourselves to be doing these disciplines the same way Jesus did. Maybe don't start with a 40-day fast. <laughs> Um, so thank you guys for listening this week to us talk about 
spiritual disciplines. Um, we only touched on a few, so if there are some you would like to hear more about, like Sabbath, we could maybe do a whole episode on that one. So exciting. Please let us know in the comments or on Twitter. You can connect with us at Judson Podcast on Instagram and Twitter or email us at info at judsonpodcast.com. And thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Kick us off.